Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome to the AJ Osborne Podcast. And today, I am so excited to be talking to Tom Wallace. Um, his resume is beyond impressive. Um, an angel investor. He's uh, sold a $268 million company. Um, it, you know, I'm not even getting into all of it because there's just so much we can talk about. And I, I'm dying to ask Tom a million questions. So without even waiting, Tom, how are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. AJ, thank you for having me. And I'm doing great down here in Tampa, Florida. And uh, as we were just talking, yeah. we're very open here and uh, things are really getting back to normal. Last week, I took my first business trip since COVID and I was over in the Miami area. Dinners every night, staying in hotels. It's it, it, it's it's good, and and you see, it's it seems like it's only going to get better. So yeah, finally getting past this COVID thing, I think exciting for all of us. Yep, that's how it is uh, out here in Idaho. We're um, you know, to say we're booming is an understatement. Our unemployment's at lows. We're um, fully open, um, and two. Um, all measures of COVID, everything like that is dropping here. Um, so it's it's a good place to be. Um, we're out and about. We're traveling. I was, I was just telling you, I was just down in Florida. So <laughs> when yeah. I was taking my family to try to figure out where to go, we we, we jumped down there to Florida, um, which I've owned several companies in, in Florida and been there a lot. Uh, are you from Florida or originally or? I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but I've been in Florida for about 30 years. So okay. I've, uh, I've yeah. been here a long time. I consider I consider uh, Florida and Tampa my home. Absolutely. And uh, but yeah, I originally grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, came down here um, in the early 90s. Okay. So. And when you went down to Florida, were you going down to be involved in tech startups? Like, why don't you, why don't you give us, a, give me a little background here, give our audience a little background of your journey and how you got to the position where you are. Yeah, so I've, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire life. So I started my first company with my best friend, who I've been in business with pretty much my entire life at the age of 23. We started it in Pittsburgh. It was a systems integration company. We were, we grew up in one of the most exciting tech times. Uh, of all times, because it was the dawning of the microcomputer or the personal computer. If, you're, if, you, if the, some of your listeners remember back then, prior to that point, the only people that had access to computers were universities, large corporations, and they were made by IBM. And there were these big machines that took rooms and geeks to program them to do anything. And that all changed in, in the very late 70s and the beginning of the 80s with Apple II and the IBM PC. And now every small business can have a computer. Every every uh, home can have, afford a computer. And they were easy to use because there was software like Lotus 123 and VisiCalc and, and, and word processors and things like that. So we built our first business literally in the microcomputer industry. We started representing companies like Microsoft and Compact Computer and Apple. And we would, we would consult and help small businesses with that. So that was our first company. We ended up exiting that company about 10 years later, right before we exited, we had, we had moved into Florida. We'd opened an office in Tampa, just from a diversification standpoint. I had some family in the area. 
Never thought I'd live here. When we sold the business, our buyer was a NASDAQ publicly traded company. One of my favorite stories about that is I remember the CEO saying, hey, Tom, why don't you, you know, we agreed to the price, why don't you take it in stock? And I'm like, and the company's into Intelligent Electronics, CEO, his name is Dick Sanford. I said, Dick, no, it's either all cash or we're not doing it. So we took all cash. He said, fine, we'll write you a check, took all cash. His stock tripled in 12 months, AJ. Yes, I didn't get that one right. But right before we sold, we had opened this little office in Tampa. He didn't want it. The company buying us didn't want it. So I came down here to just kind of run that office. And I didn't go. My team all went with him. And my, my, my best friend and business partner went and worked for his company for a number of years. And I kind of started over. And that company grew to about 350 employees and having offices all over the state. And you know, the business just took off. I really never intended to, to live in Florida, but I but I fell in love with it. And, and what was this, the new business? You just sold your old one. What, what were you focusing on with the new business? It really was just the next generation of technology. So you think about it, you know, 80s were PCs, personal computers. Then we started figuring out, okay, we can get these things to talk to each other. So it was the dawning of the network. So companies like Novell and then Microsoft, I worked very closely with Microsoft. I was on their advisory uh, board for two years worked with them for 15 years. So we represent companies like Microsoft and Cisco, uh, EMC, and we would go into large corporations and the hospitals and the big law firms and would put in their networks and manage them and, and, and do all that. And we exited that one. I've had an exit about every 10 years. So I okay. exited that one about 10 years later. All right. And then, and now after that exit, you started the company that you're currently doing? Now I did another company after that, but what happened is in this very is very common with technology entrepreneurs is along the way I started helping other entrepreneurs and, yes. and you kind of end up becoming an angel investor. Yes. So you start they ask you for advice and counsel, then eventually they usually ask you for money or you decide, hey, you know, I want to give them some money and make some investments. So I started angel investing like 30 years ago. And so I like to say I've made every mistake you can make in angel investing. So I've learned all the things not to do that, um, you know, constantly sharing with our investors and, and we share them together because it's all about learning and growing together as investors. Uh, but one more company I did after that was, you know, again, in the as, as technology moved along was uh, as we got into the cloud, and the internet in 2003, I actually invested as an angel investor in a turnaround situation in an online training and education company called Red Vector. That's the company that I ended up. We did one round of venture capital, two rounds of private equity, and our final exit was um, to Providence Equity Partners at uh, over $260 million. Nice. And then from there, you went primarily just into funding. Yeah, then I got into Florida Funders, and, and and we take a little different approach to early stage tech investing. We're a hybrid between a venture capital fund, so we have a venture capital fund and a crowdfunding platform, or what we call our angel network. Mm-hmm. So we we're on a mission to find, fund, and build the next generation of great technology companies. When we find those, our fund will put in the first chunk of money, and then we open this up to our angel investors, which we have about. 1,700 angel investors, and then they can decide to invest it alongside our fund or not. I like that. I like that model because you're um, putting your money where your mouth is first. You're taking that first step in and then telling everybody, you know, and doing the hard work. That's a good model. 
Well, and it's, it, you know, and I personally am very active as an angel investor. I have over 70 investments. I invest in every one of our companies. I'm, a, I'm an, on the angel side and a fund investor. So, and my yeah. partners are too. We really eat our own dog, dog food here. And I, you know, we've been fortunate. And most of us are a little older. You can tell by the gray hair and we've had exits and we're in a position now where um, we probably turned into a little bit of deal junkies because we yeah. love the deal and, uh-huh. and, uh, and it's, you know, I always say I get to go to work every day with these young, talented, hardworking people who are trying to change the world. What could be more fun than that? Yeah. Um, but I would also tell you that part of it is is giving back. It's helping as an entrepreneur along the way. A lot of people helped me over the years. Yeah. And most and I think every entrepreneur feels this way. And so you have it kind of in, in, in your soul that it's your job to help the next entrepreneur and help. And, then, and that's where my angel investing and more, where most angel investing stems from or a lot of it. Yeah. No, it, it it's an interesting um, process that you go from is from a creator right to a not not just a funder or mentor, but you're backing people. But your experience along the way is what allows you to do vetting. Where I know most people, when they think of angel investing, it's like, well, I'd love to get into that, but they don't even know where to start or how to start. Um, and you've done the hard work you've gone through all these years, multiple exits, you're seeing the trends, you know, you, you're, um, very, very obviously aware of that industry and how those things work, which allows you to be in a position to take advantage. I think of where most might lack, uh, you know, even when we look at us, I, we did the same thing and we, I started multiple companies. We got started in real estate. We created, a, you know, our real estate portfolio, but we started allowing others to invest with us only after we'd toppled the hundred million mark. And it was when we felt really good about our ability to obviously not guarantee or anything, but we felt really good that we understood that industry and we understood the mechanics and the driving forces of revenue and the pressures, market pressures on it to where um, I felt comfortable uh, allowing other people to invest alongside us like uh, like you do. Um, yeah. And for most people, that's a huge opportunity. Yeah, you might find this, you know, early stage tech investing obviously is, a, you know, kind of a high risk, high stakes game. And uh, we have a whole formula around how to mitigate that risk. But we know going in, some of our companies are going to zero. Yeah. I mean, we know that, you know, we're, and that's why we preach diversification so much to our investors. Mm-hmm. But one thing I will tell you, and this is true of myself and my partners, there's only one thing we hate lo- worse than losing our own money is losing our investors' money. Yeah. So we work really hard to educate our investors on what we call the five D's of angel investing, diversification, due diligence, domain expertise, um, deal flow and discipline. So if they do those things right, this asset class, which is most people think, you know, I use my brother as an example. My brother did three angel deals. He's like, I'm never doing that again. It didn't work. You know, they all went to zero. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Tim, his name's Tim. You can't do three deals. You, you know, all the research, If you, you really need to build a portfolio of 15 investments. Yeah. And when, when you start to do that and go beyond that, then you're really increasing your probability returns. You're, you're, you're going to make some return. You're not going to invest in 15 companies and they all go to zero. That doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work that way. And, and by the way, the one or two that you hit, they're not, you know, a three or four X, you know, they might be a 20, 30, 40, 50 X, 100 X. Yes. So that, you know, that's kind of the game that we play 
And it's just all about educating investors because how, you know, I, I think you believe this, AJ, and, and, and I, I know we do, is that the backbone of America, the future of America is entrepreneurship. That's what makes, what makes this country great. Yes. And the key to that in tech is, cap, is two things, talent and capital. So we provide that capital and the more angel investors that we can, we can educate, they become active angel investors, the more capital there is to build this, the next great companies in America, the next Googles, the next Facebooks, the next Microsofts. So that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, big, a big part of this, the education side of it. Yeah, no, I, I could not uh, agree with that more. I believe, you know, we believe so strongly that uh, your personal freedom as well as the freedom of others comes from our ability to shape our future and our surrounding. And we believe that capitalism allows us to do that. It allows uh, us to be creators. It allows entrepreneurs to change their own personal life and everything else. And we believe that so strongly that it was that, that was one of the fundamental reasons of allowing others to come in and invest with us was that, all right, we've got this down. We can participate in this, but we believe so f- strongly that personal uh, that financial freedom is true freedom and that allowing others to obtain that is the greatest way that we can get back. And it's funny because that's actually what I love about capitalism because capitalism actually doesn't care about what you think or your opinion, your religious beliefs. It doesn't care about anything except creating a return and giving other people what they want. So anybody of any background of anything else can make it big. It's like the most purest form of democracy to me where that we have and anybody else can go and achieve those things for themselves without have, having to get permission, without having to have other people say, I don't like you because of your thinking, your style, or whatever it is, right? And especially- I love, the the way, I, I love that message. I love the way you articulated that. I might borrow that. That was really good. Yeah, and I couldn't please. agree with it more. Yeah. And it, it, when I look at technology, I feel like that has done so much to break down those barriers even more because now there's this you can have this massive separation between consumers and founders but you can create scale on a pure product base and a pure service base and and I love that about technology right like if if I build an app or if I build a software system that will improve the operations of an in of a business internally and make them more efficient the end users don't will generally speaking, know nothing about those people that are making that software, right? They don't know who the developers are, what they think, what they want, and they don't care. It doesn't matter. And there is, I I just don't know why, but in a day, in today's age where everybody is so sensitive about who you are and what you believe, that is liberating. And that's how it should be. And, And you think about on the creator side, you think about these influencers on Instagram and TikTok and you know, you, different people have different views on that. But um, my daughter is 24 years old. She lives in Atlanta. And I used to get on her about spending time on social media, like I think every parent does. And she she works for a startup up there. And her job is to work with, with TikTok, Instagram. She's like, Dad, see? You know, I wasn't just uh-huh. wasting time. This is, I mean, and there's real businesses built being built around those ecosystems. And and these influencers are are making you know and, and it's 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 great because in TikTok my understanding we just got pitched a company here AJ that is in the um in the music industry so they, they have a platform to promote art new artists 
and to get discovered, if you will. Yeah. And the way people are doing that right now is TikTok. That's 100%. the biggest place the music artists are coming out of. Yeah. And before you had to go to Sony, you had to go to Warner Brothers or whoever the mm-hmm. producer, you know, Bertelsmann and wherever all those big music guys are. And it's just leveling the playing field, getting back to your democracy example. No. And two, it's one of the big things I think about technology is technology has the ability to liberate us or the opposite. It also has the ability to control us. And I think that's why open platforms for me are so important because we don't want to be deciding in a world that is dominated by technology who can get exposure and who can't based upon any preconceived notions for me. It's almost like it shouldn't matter, period, at all. They should be able to create, and we don't want to play God. And it's when you look at platforms that come out like TikTok that are very open, particularly when it started, and TikTok's algorithms are fantastic. I mean, anybody that's been on TikTok understands the addictive nature and how good those algorithms are. Um, My daughter was on TikTok, so I had to get on it because she's 13. So I'm like, you're not going to be on this, right? Unless I know everything (laughs) you're doing, what's happening. Uh, So I got on it. I was like, oh, this TikTok thing's interesting. Um, And it, it was, it was amazing to me at how well that platform uh, worked. And it was obvious that I was like, oh, this this thing is going to be ginormous. If you can get a 35-year-old to end up going, holy crap, I just spent 30 minutes on this stupid app, right? And I don't get on Facebook anymore, right? Don't do anything else like that. It was very apparent. And the people that can jump on that, it took nothing, nothing to use TikTok. Like, yeah. it was just like, I had one video that I made as I was walking out the door, and it was 180,000 views within like two weeks. And it was... Uh, amazing to me at that kind of access that creators and when I say creators, I mean entrepreneurs. I mean, I mean fin TikTok, right? Finance, investing TikTok, and all that. It's exploding, and it gives people an edge in a market that had people that were controlling the information, whether that's publishers, whether that's distribution channels, and everything. And it just bypassed that, which is amazing. Yeah, and that's that's how we feel about angel investing and, and crowdfunding. Because if you think about before the Jobs Act of 2012 that Obama, the Obama administration passed um, and before crowdfunding was made available, if you were an entrepreneur, a founder in technology, you know, you typically get some money from family and friends, you know, your first round, which still is, is oftentimes the case. But then you had to go to venture capitalists and you had to get your company. No, no bank's going to loan you money. You're an early stage tech company. You're not throwing mm-hmm. off any cash or any profits, right? Yeah. So you've got to go to this very, you know, good old boy network, if you will, the Sequoias, the Benchmarks, the Andreessen Horowitzes, and you've got to convince them to invest in you. And and so what's a, the beauty of crowdfunding platforms like Florida Funders, and, and, you know, there's many of them, as you know, our crowd, Angels List, I mean, Republic is now any entrepreneur can start their company, get it going, and then go out to get funding from thousands of investors, where before, you know, they, they, they only had a handful. So it's a, it's the same thing uh, happening on the investing side, and, and it's, it's, it's very exciting. Now, entrepreneurs today, it's, it's, there's never been an easier time to start a business in America ever. Your awesome. access to exposure, access to capital, access to everything is unparalleled. I mean, in two, I'm not that old, right? I'm 36. And I can remember out of college thinking about how I was going to start up a startup, 
When I'm trying to start up a startup, there was no social media platforms, right? It was friends and family. And then how do I get distribution? Which meant, how do I convince Walmart, Target, or Sears to sell my product? And if it's a service, okay, then how do I actually get that service out, right? All of those things that, and even then it was still fairly easy to be an entrepreneur in the United States, but the b big exposures that you you heard about were TV celebrity stars that you would have to get on, whether that was Oprah, things like that. And all of those major distribution channels for entrepreneurs and capital constraints has completely been turned upside down in the last 10 years. And that is incredible. Yeah. And, and the other thing on the technology side is when I started my first company and my first several companies, we had to invest in all this infrastructure. We yep. had to buy servers and computers and and networks and I mean, you know, and, and capital writing, intensive. Yeah, now with the cloud, you you can start you can start a company with barely any capital and you know invested capital. And, you know, you're paying you got to pay your people and you got to figure that part out. But I mean, it's really lowered the bar, and, and I couldn't agree with you. It is such an it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. And then I would I would lead into that is. If you think about those major changes in technology I was talking about, say the microcomputer revolution, uh, they come along like every 10 or 15 years. Then in 95, we had the internet. Then in 2006, we had the smartphone with the cloud. And all the, all the most valuable companies on the planet were born out of these major shifts in technology. So in early 80s, it was Apple and Microsoft. Then in 95, it was Amazon and Salesforce. And 2006, it was Facebook, and, or Google was back in 95 too, and then Facebook. and and Instagram and companies like that. And if you think about where we're at here in 2021, we're on the precipice of not one game-changing technology hitting us, but like five. I mean, we've got artificial intelligence, blockchain, augmented virtual reality, autonomous vehicles, 5G, quantum computing, all hitting us at the same time. And the wealth creation opportunity, both from an investor and a founder standpoint, as we sit here over the next five to 10 years, I, I think are absolutely unprecedented. The companies are gonna be created, the wealth that's gonna be made, both on the founder and the investor side, it's just a phenomenal opportunity. So not only is it a great time to be an entrepreneur and a founder, it's a great time to be an investor too. Oh, I could not agree more. And when you look at, it's amazing how these old models are reshaping and adapting to technology. And for me, I find there's so much opportunity in simply um, applied technology, as in taking technology that already exists and applying it to other business models and other avenues, right, that do not have either... Uh, a, technology to that scope or still have been embraced. We've, uh, I own a technology company out of uh, California that is doing that exact same thing to old models, like something that I invested in was storage facilities. And how do we automate? How do we create autonomous cars that will allow us to do pickups and drives off? So now I'm trying to work with manufacturers that are delivering autonomous cars to areas like, you, you've probably seen Domino's, right? And mm -hmm. they're doing the autonomous cars and everything. We're going, okay, how can I take this applied technology in this field and how can I apply this to another industry that is ripe to do it. Because for me, I'm like, all the, all, the, all the work's been taken out, right? They've already got it. I can go to the manufacturer. They got it. We can get the software right. And we can use that same thing and apply it out. Now, of course, you have to rent systems and maybe use other people. But there's just so much low-hanging fruit in that because one person's going to pioneer the path. They're going to take that technology. They're going to pioneer it for one specific use, right? Like 
Uber actually may be, the biggest part of Uber actually may be driverless cars. It may not be taxi service at all, right? The technology yeah. that's been implemented in that may be applied to another industry or sector of the economy, and that same technology will revolutionize that. Well, we've seen that, and Uber is a great example. We've seen the Uber of just about everything, actually almost mm -hmm. to a little bit of nauseam. Uh, we, yes. do have, <laughs> we do have one investment in that space, a company called Other Source, and they use gig economy workers, which is you know the backbone of Uber, and uh, they use them for uh, going in for for upcoming brands going into uh, grocery store chains, Walmart, Target, the people that go in and make sure you're on the shelf in the right place and all that. It's an exciting company, and and they're making a lot of progress. So yeah, once that technology or that business model is proven. And you can apply and, then, and there's always late adopters and all this stuff. I mean, and mm -hmm. you look at some industries like car dealerships, you know, we yeah. have some investments in that space. I mean, insurance, some, yes. there's always those laggard. Oh yeah. that just take forever to change that are so, so ripe for disruption that once somebody proves a model, then somebody else comes along and applies it to it. To, insurance to and healthcare. There was a great uh, book written called the innovators prescription on healthcare. And it was about the barriers of entry that the insurance and healthcare system had to adapting new functional technologies. And this was written a long time ago. And it was so interesting when you look at some of these industries that have artificial barriers that do not allow for adaptation or even internal change, right? And they're just primed for the pump because it gets to a point where they can't function any longer in the real world without adapting those technologies. So allowing and creating companies that help bring those companies into the fold, it's there's such a big market because they're so antiquated and how they were delivered and how they were being from an industry that was like that. And that was one of the goals of our industry was to take something that's been done for literally now since the early 2000s and simply apply it to a industry that hasn't gotten on board for whatever reason, right? Mostly because of internal internal barriers. Um, man, there's just opportunity in that healthcare insurance space as well. Yeah, so and if you think about that in history, Gates talked about this decades ago, literally. If you look at the incumbents in any market, any market segment, as, if, as that market flips to digital, goes from analog to digital, the analog players typically get left behind. They can't make the leap. You're seeing it now in the car, the, the EV electronic vehicle industry with Tesla, where you know Ford and GM and, and you know Toyota and Mercedes are struggling so much. Right now, I mean, I, I just read where Tesla is 20% of the EV market in the United States and, it, and it's growing. And you know, so that that's the other thing that you, that you see in technology it, when you look at opportunity is uh, the incumbents are rarely able to make the change. I mean, they just can't get out of their own way. They're yeah. big, they're stuck in their ways. And I think that that's the other thing that's fun about entrepreneurship is, um, you know, you, you get an opportunity to go in and, and compete against the big guys, but you're quicker, you're nimbler. Yes. You're, you don't have all these layers of bureaucracy. We, we get that all the time where one of my partners will say, yeah, but they're going to go, you know, they're, they're kind of competing against Google here. And, you know, there's some merit to that. But at the same time now, they're, you know, they're, Five guys in a in a you know an apartment cranking out this code and Google's doing eight zillion things and has layers and layers of bureaucracy now. 
Well, so. th their their business model is not to uh, invent or disrupt; it's to purchase inventors and disruptors, and they yeah. just put such a high price tag that it doesn't matter. So your exits in the technology space are great because those big boys they don't do it well anymore. They yeah. they just sit around and wait, and they invest in the guys that are doing it, and they try to take control after the fact because they know. They know. They're big corporations. They're bloated. And I, it was literally, I had a whole entire podcast on this this uh, this morning on understanding the individual drivers of small entrepreneurship team where the focus is so heavily on impact. Every decision we make has to be monumental in the business. It, we have to get that first, you know, million dollars, which is a thousand percent increase of our capital raise. We have to deliver, you know, a thousand products this month, which is twice as big as last month, right? I mean, yeah. everything is just so impact driven that all that fluff and all that stuff that gets out of, in the way, they're just carving it out. And they're like, we don't even care. We got to do it. Well, the bigger you get, the more you have to focus on processes and procedures to sustain an outcome that that effort gets shift away from impact to sustainability. And therein lies entrepreneurs advantage and opportunity. Yeah, my daughter just went, she left CNN back in November. She was working for CNN, which is owned by Time Warner, which is owned by AT&T. It's one of the largest companies in America, right? She yes. goes to work for this startup, 25 person startup. It's only been there like a month, like a weekend. They say, go hire an, on go hire an intern. We need you to hire an intern. She's like, okay, well, what, what, where the, you know, what do I need to fill out? Who's approval? What do I, you know, what's the process? They're like, Go hire an intern. Yeah. Go they're do like, it. <laughs> they're like, just figure it out. Do it. Hire an intern. How hard going to be? She's like, you mean I can just do this? I don't have to get approval upon approval. So. There's not like five more people above me that have to interview, approve, have to yeah. on and on and on. And it, you know, I, it's amazing to, and I thrive in those kind of environments, right? Like yeah. I worked for yeah. a multi billion dollar, $40 billion company. And I was running their divisions for a while out there. And I was like, the inefficiencies of it all drove me nuts because you say you want us to accomplish this goal, but then you're taking away my entire revenue based team to admin where they should never be belonged so I can achieve those results. And when I kept control part of the company, it worked really good. I got Profit margins up to 50%. We were growing uh, really, really fast. We were beating every single metric, right? But the more and more they crept in, and the more and more our returns slowly started to go down. And then they started saying things, we want you to hire this person because of quality control. We want this person. And now you need to start reporting this. The margin starts dropping and dropping and dropping. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is a nightmare. Like, it was like, this is just, and I get it. They need safety, reliability, right? That is it, where we were so focused on being successful and getting whatever our customer wants. Like, we don't care about mama ship out in somewhere else, you know, Chicago or New York. We care about the client, what they mm -hmm. need. And two, if they need something that we don't have, we're taking that capital, we're buying it, we're investing in it to provide value to that customer. Big corporations, they don't, it doesn't move like that customer yeah. wants it, we're going to have a team that is going to analyze that segment of the market <laughs> to decide if we should give that to our customers. Yeah. There's just so, so much we, opportunity. By the way, when we look at founders and companies we're going to invest in, and we look at, for every investment we make, we look at 50 to 100 companies, so we're very selective. Um, 
that's one of the things we look for in founders. How how close are they to the customer? How much how much are they talking to their customers? Um, how, how customer focused and driven are they to, to the point you, you know you are making? And as companies get bigger, they get further away from the customer. They have yep. more and more layers between the decision makers and the customers, and you know that's 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 problematic on on many different levels. And, and that's the advantage of being a small nimble company is. You know, the founder, customer, maybe a layer, maybe none, even better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you get like Google. Okay, our client, our our customers want, um, you know, cloud storage. Okay, well, we're not going to do that here. Let's go find a company that I can spend five hundred million on, buy them, and then we can invest the money and capital in it to scale it because we already have the customer base, and so they attach on. Right? They say, okay, we have the market. You have the product, they merge those two things, and it's very successful for large companies. But two, for small entrepreneurs, providing solutions that those big companies can't provide on their own means that they're going to get multiples larger because those big companies are going to pay massive multiples for things that they need because of what not only they can do with it, but also the opportunity cost of their own company reinvesting dollars, time. They don't have the infrastructure to do it. And uh, I, I, I tell people all the time, you really want to create a good company, go talk to all the big companies in whatever sector industry you're in and hear their complaints, what they need to do, what they want to do, what they wish they could do, but can't mm-hmm. do that. And it's, you know, the market tells entrepreneurs what they want, whether it's the customer, whether it's the big business, whether it's the inefficiencies, right? And I feel like entrepreneurs, as long as they stay close to that, as long as they feel that pulse of that need, um, everything else works works itself out. They can, everything, revenue cures all evils. And as long as they can create that, that product demand, they're, they're good. Yeah, we tell our founders that all the time. And, and by the way, we don't just write them a check and give them money. We get very involved in trying to help them be successful. And so they're not one of the ones that go to zero, but one of the ones that go to 100x. And, you know, we coach and mentor the CEOs. And we typically have somebody in there that's, that's work, you know, trying to help this entrepreneur be successful. And, you know, one of the things we, we tell them and, and just picking up on what you said there is like, you know, Operations is important and, you know, financial reporting, accounting, all that's important, but sales, sales and customers, if you have those, it's, sales will, will, will cure a lot of ails, ills, mm-hmm. sickness, whatever you want to call it. And lack of sales, you're going nowhere. Yep. So focus on sales. You can always fix the operations, fix the product, yes. fix the other stuff as you go along. You can, you can, you can, you can fix the plane while you're flying it as long as you have sales. But if you're not, you don't have sales and customers. You're not even in the air. Yep, sales. Uh, sales is what makes a business. Um, op- operations is what keeps them around. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, for you, bringing all this experience, all this knowledge you have. What are the things you guys are looking for? You met, you kind of touched on this, but when you're looking at it, this company and this founder, like, what are you looking at that you believe puts that entrepreneur in a position of success and will make him successful? first of all, on his own? And then what are you looking to supply those entrepreneurs? I'm always interested on the VC side. Like there's, because yeah. it's a fine line, uh, right? On what you should do and what you should also not do with that company. Yeah, so um, looking at, depending on when we're investing, and sometimes we invest seed or, or, or very early where the company may not have revenues yet. We don't invest in product development. They must have a minimal viable product MVP. 
um, maybe a couple customers. So the earlier we're investing, the more we're betting on the jockey as opposed to the horse. So, in, in, and we always look at, at the founder, the jockey very closely, try to get to know them. Um, we like teams better, like one or we like founders better than a founder. Um, you know, I think the perfect example is, you know, Jobs and Wozniak, yep. you got the sales marketing genius and you got the engineering genius. That's a great combination. Rocket fuel. Like, you know, you, know, you don't like always find that. Yep. But, um, so we're looking at that founder and the number one thing we're looking for in a founder is, is, is really a grit and determination. How badly do they want it? How badly do they want to be successful? And you know, AJ, you've built businesses, building businesses really hard. They're going to get punched in the face. They're going to get knocked off that horse. How quickly are they going to get back up? How much are they going to fight? How much are they going to, you know, Travis Kalanick, uh, the founder of Uber, if you know anything about him, I mean, he took on the cab companies, he took on city governments, he took on country governments. And that guy was just a tenacious fighter. And I remember talking to one of his angel investors and saying, why did you invest in Uber? He's like, Tom, I didn't even know what Uber was. I met Travis and I was like, this is the guy. I just want to give this guy money because whatever he's doing, he's going to figure it out. So that's the number one thing we're looking for. And then we look for things like, you know, what problem are they solving? And, you know, what's that opportunity? What's the timing? Because in tech, you can be too early and you can be too late. You, you got to be in the right place at the right time. Chewy.com is a good example of that, a Fort Lauderdale company that, a young man named Ryan Cohen started at the age of 26. Him and his partner sold it five years later for three and a half billion dollars. Uh, you know, when he did Chewy.com was Pets.com of 1999, 2000 that went bankrupt. But Pets.com was too early. When Pets.com was doing it, you know, selling dog food and toys and all this stuff online, there were 500,000, maybe a million people online. You know, you, you, you move out to 2013 when Ryan Cohen and his partner did it. You had, you had billions of people online. I mean, it's just, so timing is a very important part of this. And, um, you know, there's other factors too, but uh, those are some of the things we're looking for. You know, I, I love this idea and um, this idea of the founders, because one of the, so our tech company that we invested heavily in, um, we understood the space, first of all. The, um, our partner that was coming in to start it out you talked about like what it was and why, and looking back on it, we understood the need, right? But understanding a need means nothing without execution and the ability to pull it off. And so our CEO and our our founder, right, that we came in and did this with, um, the principal reason we did it was because we're like, listen, if it fails, at the end of the day, the only way it's failing is after he's dead. Because he's that personality. He's like, everything will fail in his life. Marriage, relationships, doesn't matter. He will work till he dies to make it work out. And yeah. that's the person that I want. That's I the want guy, the guy that says, the person you want to invest in. everything's on the table. Everything. Yeah. I will give everything for this. And if they mm -hmm. don't, they shouldn't be in business because as entrepreneurs, we know, and uh, as you know, I, I guess maybe I'm, well, Jada, coming back from a sales uh, company or anything like that, we fought. And it was like, I'm like, it doesn't matter what my competition does because I will always work when they're sleeping. And I will always put money back in to win a client before I'll ever take it home just because I got to win, right? 
Those are the kind of people that, because you don't know how the future is going to hold. You don't know what that business is going to do. We talked about pivoting, right? Like these companies that had this idea, like Instagram, right? Instagram was never made what it actually was, is today. The founders had to totally go away from their original idea to create the product that is now. But they listened to their, com- their, their, their customers, but two, they weren't ever going to give up. And so yeah. even though there are the investors who originally invested in this idea turned out not to be the idea that worked, the founders just made it work. They figured it out and made it work. And I feel like entrepreneurs, founders, they got to be able to in that position. I'll burn my own ships down to make sure this works. My, I, I don't have sacred cows here, right? I'll kill them all to make it work. <laughs> I like the way you say that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's what you want in a founder. And, uh, you know, again, they're going to face tremendous challenges, tremendous problems, personnel problems, customer problems, product problems. And if they just have that tenacity and that determination, like you said, a lot of them end up pivoting. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday um, uh, about the founders of Pinterest and and the original, it was original investor in Pinterest. And he was talking about how they pivoted and how Pinterest, what it is today is not what they started. That's, 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 that's quite common. And it's, you want, you want those founders, that founder or founding team that's gonna, that's just going to have that, that attitude. I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm not going to fail. My brother who's older than me, um, last year he sold his company. He has a software company as well. He sold it for a billion six. And I remember him years ago telling me, Tom, I may not be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, I may not know that much about, he was an insurance tech. He said, he, he said I may not know as much about the insurance industry as, as a lot of my competitors, but I guarantee you no one will outwork me. Yep. And he, he was a you know, 60 hour a week guy, 70 hour a week guy his whole life, traveled the world, living on airplanes, million miles a year. And you, know, it, you want that person that's got that hard work, one of the questions we ask founders a lot of time, always is, you know, tell me what you do in your spare time. What do you do on your weekends? You know, we love to hear. Yeah. Work. Work. I spend all weekend working. Yeah. I, I really don't have any hobbies. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. No, if I hear, oh, so every single Friday night I go do this, go say, I'm not giving you my money. Like yeah. that's just an automatically disqualifier for me because yeah, it's exactly. like, it, it just, you know, even funny when I was getting married, I was like very blunt with my wife. I'm like, okay, two things you need to know. We're either going to be really wealthy or we're going to be broke. There will not be any in between. <laughs> and two, you have to be comfortable right now that when I need to go start my business, when I need to go invest, when I need to do my work, I'm going. There's not a discussion. There's not anything. I'm going. And that's who I am. That's my personality. And if you're not okay with that, we just need to have this right up front, right? And she was like, listen, my dad was a train engineer. So every time he went to work, he was gone for two weeks. And I'm like, this is going to work out great. (laughs) It was like, I just got to be totally upfront and honest. I'm going to work on Saturday. Yeah. Sunday afternoon. Sunday, we're going to go to church with the kids, everything. I got stuff to do. I'm working. My phone rings. Nine o'clock at night, I'm going to sit down on the porch for two hours and talk to somebody on the phone, right? And there's nothing that I won't say is off the table. And there has to be this honesty about who you are and what it takes. And I feel like a lot of people get that, they get confused with the dream of entrepreneurship and that that just spoils everything. They think that, oh no, I'm my own boss. I should be able to do whatever I want, 
right? I'm financially free. And you hear these things that they say, and those are just red flags. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You're going to have, if you're an entrepreneur, you you don't have one boss, you have tons of bosses. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You don't have one, you have hundreds (laughs) and none of them can fire you. You need all of them. Yeah. So this is, you know, let me ask you this here before I know we've already got an hour, but I want to know where, what spaces are you looking in now? We've talked about the jockey, talk about the horse, what spaces, what do you like? What are you interested in? So we, we think as you look at, you know, as I was talking about those game changing technologies, uh, we're here in Florida. So, you know, some of those things will happen in other places that we're probably not the best suited to take advantage of. Uh, we like artificial intelligence and not, not companies, the companies that have a solution and they're applying artificial intelligence to it. Um, and that's something it's, it's a buzzword, but you really have to dig deep on that and make sure it's true artificial intelligence because it's easy to kind of fake it before you make it in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we like, we like, we like solutions like that. We love the SaaS software model. That was a company I built, my brother built. So, so we, it's a great Salesforce was kind of the inventor of the SaaS software model. We love that model. Um, we, we like augmented virtual reality. We think that's going to, we've made some investments in that space and we'll continue to do that. We love ed tech. I mean, if you think about the two industries that are broken in the United States, it's K to 12 and healthcare. And the way you're going to, we're going to fix, we, America is going to fix those industries is through technology application and technology. So anything in ed tech or digital health, we, we really, really, um, really like those two spaces. And then cybersecurity, uh, we're lucky in Florida here, we have three unicorns in Tampa alone in the cybersecurity space. We've kind of got uh, quite a bit of cybersecurity going on here. And the world's not getting any safer place, AJ. No. Especially the no. digital world. It's yeah. only getting more and more dangerous. And you know, companies that have a, um, a great cybersecurity uh, solution and you know, and there's, there's, and that's such a broad field too. Yes. Uh, we really like that space as well. Well, that's the great I, thing I love about cyber technology is there's always new technology that needs to be protected like every day. Huh? So, yeah. you know, if you get a cyber technology that can solve a problem of a growing industry, right. It's, it, it's the idea of, you know, don't be the miner, but sell the shovels, right? Like all of a sudden you have an exploding, whether that's uh, autonomous vehicles. Okay, I'm going to provide a solution to make sure no outside person can hack the software of that car so they can't con- take control of it, right? And then yeah. as that industry explodes, they're piggybacking off of it. And plus, if you're not the manufacturer of the car, right, but you're the uh, soft software end of the protector, you got way better margins anyways. And I love those. Absolutely love those models. And two, education. I could not agree with you more. My wife started a school specifically because we had major issues, and we think that whole entire sector is literally falling apart. Um, And it's just ripe for just overtake. And uh, um, we decided we need to figure out a model on how this should be implemented. We don't believe that we believe that the ch- that children aren't just going to stay at home. We believe that technology needs to be um, integrated into the learning process, but it also fundamentally the process of education needs to change uh, because there's Absolutely. it's it's amazing if you look at a school. We're going to build something that's going to hold three thousand people, right? We're going to take people that maybe aren't even qualified put them in there to teach them with no resources to teach them when we're in a digital age where those resources can be had at the touch of a freaking keyboard. 
Yet yeah. we're going to put you in here and you have to do this thing and not access all that knowledge. It just doesn't make sense. But uh, I, I, can, I love those industries. I think those spaces are just completely ripe. Yeah. And we do too. So we're very excited about that. And, um, you know, that, that's we're making quite a few investments in, in, in those areas and we'll continue to. Well, where can people find more about you, what you're doing? It's fantastic. Um, and two, by the way, angel investing, I've thought about this a lot. Because I'm like, first of all, I'm like, I'm not a bank. I don't give people money. And even entrepreneurs that come and talk, I go, I don't have a system in place to really do that, especially with her, unless I intrinsically understand that business model. The only reason I bought the, the, the tech company that we have, because I am the end user. I, it, literally, it, it's going to go in with my entire business model. Um, so I know exactly what it needs to do. Other than that, I'm like, I need somebody else that I can piggyback off of for angel investing because it's, as you know, a full-time job because it can't be one or two companies. You have to have a portfolio. It's a lot of work. And I learned the hard way of making the mistakes where I was just investing because I met this guy and I kind of liked him. If you're not doing the due diligence, if you don't have domain expertise, if you don't diversify, it's all these five Bs we talk about. So um, people can reach me at floridafunders.com. My email address is tom at floridafunders.com. And they can find more out about what we do. We do, we like to say we take the heavy lift the out of angel investing because we do all the due diligence. We do all the work that when I was angel investing, I quickly learned I had to piggyback off of my friends that had time and that I knew and respected and had time to do it and negotiate the terms of the deal, work out mm-hmm. all the legal docs and the agreements and make sure we're protected as investors and so that's what we do at Florida Funders, and uh, we're on a mission to find, fund, and build the next great, gen- next uh, great generation of tech companies. And uh, AJ, thank you so much for having me on your show. Tom, thank you for coming on. This was awesome. I really appreciate it, and I would love to have you uh, back on and to hear how it's going as the world changes because it changes fast, and you're a wealth of knowledge. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks, AJ. Have a good one. Thank you.